In this episode, we are going to talk about the life of James Creighton, a star pitcher in the mid-1800s, known for his very unique pitching style. We'll discuss the events that led to his early and untimely death, including the fatal injury he sustained during the baseball game, and we're also going to discuss his lasting legacy to the sport. This week on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the show. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. First of all, thanks for listening. It's good to be back with you. I want to take a moment to highlight some of our new members in the community. These are individuals that signed up for the free weekly newsletter that we started offering. Luis and Adro, welcome. It's good to have you both as a part of the group. If you would like to join our growing community, you can go to the website, rounders.substack.com. You can sign up there for a free weekly email newsletter that contains a companion to this main episode, gives you some great uh, research resources, photos, videos of what we're talking about so you can get a more visual experience. You can also get access to our free weekly bonus show called This Week in Baseball History, where we cover the main events that happen every week in baseball history. I think you'll enjoy that. And then, of course, we have a uh, monthly uh, premium subscriber option if you want to, for the cost of a cup of coffee, support the show and be able to have your comments read in episode and to be able to get the ad-free version of this to get the show a week early. All you got to do is sign up there. So you can join Luis and Adro joining on the free tier, or you can join some of our other members who have decided to go for that low monthly price and help grow the show. Another moment uh, real quick that I want to take is I want to highlight reviews that you leave for the show. It means a lot to me. It helps us with the algorithm for YouTube, for podcast catchers to get us in front of new fans. Uh, W.V. Wiffle on Apple Podcasts, he left a review recently and said, quote, I just recently found this show and I've really enjoyed the deep dives into the topics chosen, particularly the team autopsies. Very well done, end quote. WV, thank you for that. I greatly appreciate that. So we have some great topics lined up in the future, folks. Remember, you can get that list by signing up as a premium member on the uh, website, rounders.substack.com, or if you just want the bonus show and a little bit extra, including for this episode to get some, like I said, some visuals, some research sources, go ahead and sign up there. It means a lot to me that you would take the time to do so. But let's go ahead and jump into our episode for today. In the world of baseball, there have been lots of players whose contributions have shaped the game that we know and love. And there's other players who have left these legacies that have really been overshadowed by tragedy. And one of them we're going to talk about today, and that's an individual named James Creighton. So James Creighton was a star pitcher. He was someone who played during the mid-1800s. He was known for his unique and unconventional pitching style. He was also one of the most talented players of his time, and unfortunately, his life was cut short due to a tragic accident that occurred during a baseball game. But despite his early death, he does have a legacy that lives on, and his story really does continue to fascinate baseball enthusiasts and people who love the sport, especially when you find out about how he really changed the game. So in this episode, we're going to explore the life of James Creighton. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into his tragic story. (laughs) 
So the best way to start a story is always at the beginning. So let's look at James Creighton's early life. How did he get involved in baseball? What led up to this stardom that we're going to be talking about? So James Creighton, also known as Jim, was born on April 15th, 1841 in Manhattan, New York. And he was the second of six children. His father was a successful businessman and the whole family lived a very comfortable and well-off lifestyle as a result. Now, from a young age, Creighton did show an interest in sports, particularly baseball, and he would play often in the streets in the vacant lots in New York City along with the other kids, which was obviously common during this time, and he really took a a liking to playing pitcher. And to really nurture his love for the sport and for the position, his family was supportive, and his father even built a baseball field in their backyard for Jim and his siblings to practice on. So we fast forward later on into the life. Uh, Jim uh, attended the Brooklyn Collegiate and Polytechnic Institute. This is where he continued to play baseball in the local area. He was also a really great student, and he was known to be a very cerebral individual. And so you combine his love of learning, his ability to be very observant and cerebral in what he's doing, as well as his on-field skill that he had been developing since he was a child. And that led to him wanting to be able to play sports on more of a professional level. So we fast forward into looking at Jim's very brief professional career. So his rise to fame really came around 1858. And he joined uh, the Star Club of Brooklyn. And he started off playing several different positions. But then the team started to use him as a substitute pitcher. And his skill as an excellent pitcher in terms of his accuracy and velocity started to be noticed by other individuals in the region and other clubs in the region. So in 1859, he became a prominent pitcher. He led the Stars to an undefeated season, and that really cemented his status regionally as a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, The very next year in 1860, the rival Brooklyn Excelsiors, also known as the Excelsior of Brooklyn Club, who was one of the highest profile baseball clubs of this time period, decided to go after uh, Creighton and sign him to a contract. They bought his contract. He immediately became a national sensation playing on this larger stage. And his success was really unusual for the time period. Uh, He was a regular in newspaper articles. He was on the covers of magazines. His image was even used to sell products like cigars and tobacco. And fans would follow him around on the streets of New York City or wherever they were playing. And he would get asked for autographs. They would congratulate him on his latest victories. So he certainly was someone who uh, enjoyed a level of notoriety that was uncommon in baseball during this time, especially for some of these professional clubs. Remember, we're talking about the 1860s here, so we are in the early days of organized baseball. Uh, We see, obviously, a hotbed in New York in terms of an interest in this sport and in New England in general, and he was at the forefront of that. So, you know, normally we would look at a player's statistics in order to be able to judge how uh, important they were to the game, how successful they were. Unfortunately, stats for baseball in the mid-1800s are not exactly reliably recorded in the same way they are today. So we don't have a lot of detailed information about Jim Creighton's pitching stats, but we can look at some anecdotal evidence from his career based on primary sources, newspaper clippings. Let's look at some of those just to give you an idea of how people uh, viewed him during the time period, his contemporaries. So uh, I have some great uh, excerpts here from different newspapers during the time period. 
Uh, here's a quote from the New York Daily Tribune, which was published in 1859, this article. It said, quote, Creighton, the famous pitcher of the Excelsiors, is the lion of the day and receives the homage of the multitude as he passes along the streets, end quote. There's another article in the New York Clipper in 1858 said the famous pitcher Jim Creighton of the Excelsiors has made a great many friends by his uniform kindness and politeness to all, end quote. Uh, and one last quote from the New York Sunday Mercury that stated, quote, the wonderful pitching of Creighton who throws the ball with great speed and accuracy is the admiration of all, end quote. So we certainly see that he is a prominent individual in baseball uh, representing the sport. He's grabbing headlines. He's playing really well. And there's a reason for that. He is a guy who helped revolutionize not only the sport, but one of the positions played on the field. So why don't we go ahead and jump into that a little bit more. Before we do that, I do want to establish just how important he was to the game of baseball overall by looking at what historians have to say about Jim Creighton. So uh, there's three authors that you've probably heard of, if you enjoy baseball history as much as me, that all included excerpts about Jim Creighton in uh, publications that they wrote. So one of them, David Flights, he wrote a book on Jim Creighton called Jim Creighton, The Triumph and Tragedy of Baseball's Forgotten Hero. Uh, I picked out one item from the book that I thought really uh, summarized uh, Jim Creighton's importance to baseball. It said, quote, Creighton was a player of extraordinary skill and talent and his contributions to the game of baseball were significant. He was a true pioneer of the sport and will always be remembered as one of the greatest players of his time, end quote. Not bad. We have another quote here from George Vesey. He wrote uh, Baseball, a History of America's Favorite Game. He said about Creighton, quote, no pitcher of his day was more successful or more famous than Jim Creighton. He was a true innovator and a master of his craft, end quote. And then finally, someone we quote on the show all the time, Jim uh, Thorne, excuse me, John Thorne, sorry, John, uh, had this to say in his book, uh, Baseball in the Garden of Eden. He said, quote, Jim Creighton was a genius on the baseball diamond, a player with an innate understanding of the game and a rare ability to execute his vision on the field, end quote. So we take the words of his contemporaries, we take the words of individuals that study the game, and it's very easy to see that Jim Creighton is held in high regard in terms of his performance on the field and his his role in making baseball into the national pastime. So what made him one of the greats of early baseball, whose names are with guys like Jim Devlin, Bobby Matthews, Al Spaulding? Well, a lot of it came down to the way that he approached the position he played, which was pitcher. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So just as a quick overview, let's just go back and, and reestablish what baseball was like in the middle 1800s, right? So because he changed the style of how pitchers performed, it's important to understand how pitching was different during this time period. So let's just go over a few of those key differences. Uh, number one, 
underhanded pitching was the common way to deliver the ball during this time. So instead of throwing overhand as modern pitchers do, pitchers in Creighton's time threw the ball underhand and the pitcher would stand with one foot on the pitcher's plate and the other foot would be in front of it. They would release the ball with an underhanded motion and under the rules of baseball during this time with larger clubs, you had to deliver the ball underhanded with an arm locked straight at the elbow in the wrist. And that was used to prevent a pitcher from delivering the ball with too much velocity. So just think about how much power can you get behind when you're locking the elbow and the wrist. That's what pitchers were limited to. It was also a shorter distance from the mound to the plate. So the pitching distance during Creighton's time was only about 45 feet. That distance has later obviously increased. We saw it increase to 50 feet in 1867. And then we have the modern 60 foot 6 inch rule. So uh, Creighton was closer to the plate during this time. There were no balls or strikes, obviously, uh, during Creighton's era. So the pitcher would deliver the ball to the batter. The batter would choose to swing or let it pass. So, you know, foul balls didn't count as strikes yet. There weren't any walks. So it really came down to not necessarily striking out the batter, but being able to get them to be able to not be able to make solid contact with the ball. And the last thing I want to point out is the ball that we used during Creighton's era was very heavy. It was larger and heavier than a modern baseball. So this ball was made almost entirely of rubber. It weighed around six ounces. And you compare that to a five ounce baseball that we see in today's times. That may not sound like much, but when you're playing with a bigger ball and it's a whole ounce heavier, that really made it harder for the pitcher to deliver it with any sort of uh, increase in speed, especially when you have the rules on how you can deliver it. So Creighton helped revolutionize that as well. So this is the sport in which he played or the style in which baseball was played during this time. So this is a great segue into talking about Creighton's unusual pitching style. How did he revolutionize the position and the sport? Well, one of the things that really set him apart was how he threw the ball. Remember, and this is important, the job of the pitcher during this era of baseball was to make it easy for the batter to hit the ball, to put the ball into play so the fielders, who were the game's true skill set, could then handle that and get the out. But Jim changed that by being one of the first to make the goal of pitching more about making the batter's life difficult and producing outs for the team. So Creighton had this really unusual style. Remember, he's he's limited by how he can deliver the pitch, but he did change how pitchers delivered the ball. He would use this style that would observers would describe it as quote a low swift delivery to his pitches. And he was able to achieve this really high velocity that was unseen yet during this time. So the ball would, after leaving his hand, it would, quote, rise from the ground past the shoulder to the catcher. And this delivery made it incredibly difficult for batters to hit the ball effectively. So if you need a visual in your mind, just imagine someone doing a really exaggerated uh, bowling stance to deliver a baseball underhanded. Take a wide step back, bring the ball back really far and then deliver it without bending the elbow and the wrist. So he's like almost like he's bowling the ball, but he would do it in a very fast way. So uh, there was an English cricketer named John Lillywhite who observed Creighton once, and this is what he had to say about um, Creighton's pitching style. He said, quote, Why that man is not bowling, he's throwing underhanded. It is the best disguised underhanded throwing I ever saw, and might readily be taken for a fair delivery, end quote. 
There was another observer that said that Creighton's pitch was, quote, as swift as if it was shot out of a cannon, end quote. Excelsior teammate John Chapman, later in his life he played with Creighton, wrote that, quote, Creighton had wonderful speed and with it splendid command. He was fairly unhittable, end quote. So we see him delivering the pitch in a way that makes it much harder to hit the ball. And this was controversial at first. There were critics that argued that he was giving his team an unfair advantage by delivering the ball with more speed than other pitchers did. And there were others that praised his innovative approach as well. But what really made this become a national headline was uh, Creighton's team, the Excelsiors, were playing their rival Brooklyn Atlantics in a game, and he held the Atlantics to five runs, which was pitifully low for a score during this time. And the Brooklyn Eagle, a newspaper, dispatched a reporter to determine whether or not the pitch was fair or legal because of the outcry after that low score. And the journal, uh, the journalist who was assigned to make that decision, he ended up reporting that Creighton was throwing, quote, a fair square pitch rather than a jerk or underhanded throw, end quote. So we see him just being able to use his body in a way to be able to deliver the ball with more velocity. And that changed the role of pitchers in the game. And it changed how pitchers used uh, themselves to be able to throw the ball. And it wasn't just this underhanded cannon shot that he would use. He also had another technique that he used early on in his career that he also would um, deploy to make it harder for batters to hit the ball. It was nicknamed the dewdrop. And basically what he would do, it was he would throw this really high arcing, slower pitch, and it would throw batters off their timing to be able to hit the ball. So he had a fast pitch, he had a slow pitch. He's also uh, been uh, quoted from spectators as saying that he would put a twist on the ball. And although, you know, without any actual photo or video evidence to review that, there are several historians that think that that twist that spectators have said that he used could refer to the fact that he was throwing some sort of curveball in the way that he delivered a pitch. So not only just delivering the ball with uh, a faster intent, but also using different styles of pitching the ball and having the ball have some movement to it, Creighton is also responsible for. So we certainly, again, see him revolutionizing the position. So Creighton's four years into his career, right? And that brings us to the fatal game. What happened? Well, it was October 14th, 1862. He's playing a game. He's pitching for the Excelsiors. They're playing against the Unions of Morrisania. And it's a home game. It's at the Union Grounds in Brooklyn. Everyone's there to see Creighton pitch. You know, he's, he's a sensation. Everyone wants to see how this guy delivers the ball. It's the seventh inning. The game's tied at zero. Creighton winds up and pitches the ball. And he delivers a real nice one. It's a fast, powerful throw, sails towards the batter, hits the catcher's mitt. But the attention wasn't on the ball's delivery because everyone's looking back at the mound because Creighton had collapsed after delivering that pitch. What happened? Everyone rushes on the field. His teammates are trying to figure out what's going on. He's in an incredible amount of pain. They take him to a teammate's house that lives nearby. They call for a doctor. It's no use. He ends up dying a few hours later. And the news of his death spread quickly, like wildfire. Oh my gosh. Baseball fans mourning him across the country. Uh, it was a very 
traumatic experience for early baseball to see Creighton die in this way. So certainly shocking and tragic. And remember, his story really underscores how dangerous it was to play baseball during this time period. Um, You know, there's a lot of players that suffered from concussions playing in the pitching uh, position because there's no equipment. The ball's heavy. It's moving fast. You're delivering these slow moving pitches. And so it was a dangerous position to begin with. But here we have Creighton dying and we're not sure why he just collapsed. So this has been a subject of debate amongst historians. What exactly was the thing that killed Creighton? Obviously, it was related to how he pitched the ball. But what did it do to his body? So one theory is that Creighton suffered a ruptured bladder as a result of the strain of throwing that heavy baseball. And this theory is supported by the fact that Creighton reportedly already had a pre-existing condition that made him more susceptible to bladder injuries. He had stomach issues that were related to possibly that. So he was exacerbating every time he pitched this ball with the way he had to step back and stretch out his body and deliver that heavy ball. It was putting all this pressure on that area. So was it the ruptured bladder? That's the popular theory. There's another theory that Creighton suffered what's called a thoracic aortic aneurysm. And that's basically when the wall of the aorta in your heart weakens and bulges outwards. And the theory is that this could have been caused by the strain of that wind-up routine again. And combined with throwing that heavy baseball just exacerbated the heart issue until it finally pops. So all that pressure, whether it was in the abdominal area, and a ruptured bladder, or whether it was a heart issue, we're not 100% sure. Obviously, modern autopsies uh, didn't reveal that during the time. But those are the two main theories that this is what caused Creighton to die. The pitching style caused this to happen in his body. There's also a third theory out there that didn't have as much information. But there, there was some um, speculation floating around that he suffered a head injury earlier on in the game. He was hit by a batted ball. And that theory is less widely accepted than the other two because there's little concrete evidence to support that. Whereas with the other two, we can tell from just the the observations of uh, what he was holding when he was injured and the way that he died. Okay, maybe it was one of these, but there's not exactly any hard evidence to say that, yeah, he got hit by a ball and it might have been related to that. But that is a third one that's floating around. It's my job to give you the evidence, to give you the information. So there you have it. So regardless of the exact cause of Creighton's injury, his death was a tragic reminder of the dangers baseball players face during this area. We see players much better protected now thanks to these tragedies that happened earlier on. We see better advances in equipment and medical knowledge. Uh, Unfortunately, he had to die at a very young age. And his memory does live on in that way, that he was able to advance the game, unfortunately, at the cost of his life. Not only in how pitchers were allowed to deliver the ball, but just in him popularizing the idea that pitchers could be a key part of the defensive process instead of just being there to help the batter get a good hit. That is Creighton's legacy overall. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Now, James Creighton is not the only individual to have a tragic on-field death. There have been other instances throughout baseball history where we've seen this. Let's look at a couple of them. Number one, in 1909, Mike Powers, his nickname was Doc, he played for the New York Highlanders, who were a club that was the forerunner of the Yankees. He suffered a fatal injury when he was struck in the head by a ball. The ball had deflected off the bat of an opposing player, and Powers ended up collapsing right there on the field, and he died shortly after the incident. Another example of a player losing their life on the field This is probably the most well-known example, Ray Chapman. We're going to do an episode on him in the future. He was a shortstop for the Cleveland Indians, and he was struck in the head by a pitch during a game in 1920. Now, Chapman, after he was hit in the head and collapsed, he was rushed to the hospital, but he ended up dying the next day from his injuries. And his death prompted the introduction of a new rule that required umpires to replace a ball whenever it became scuffed or discolored. You may wonder why sometimes the ball hits the dirt, The umpire causes the catcher to replace it when it's thrown back. That ties back to Ray Chapman. So the reason for that was because one of the reasons that they believe Chapman was hit in the head was because pitchers were using a lot of these uh, illegal um, means to be able to deliver the ball using spitballs and other types of pitches. And it made it harder for the batter to be able to see the pitch coming in. So this rule was a result of Ray Chapman's death to be able to give a fresh ball whenever there could have been any sort of damage to it. There was another uh, more recent event of a player dying on the field, not a player, but an individual, uh, Mike Coolbaugh. He was a first base coach for the minor league Tulsa Drillers. Uh, This happened in 2007, not that long ago. Coolbaugh wasn't wearing a helmet and he was uh, the first base coach and he got hit by a line drive right in the head. And he suffered that fatal injury and ended up dying shortly after. So these are just a few examples of players who, um, you know, have really uh, sacrificed their health going onto the field. And these are three examples of people who died from it. Um, It's never going to go away. You know, we're always going to have issues where players are going to get hurt on the field. Uh, But certainly James Creighton's story is tragic because he died so young and he left He left a legacy for the game that showed that it can be advanced, positions can change, rules can change, and just his delivery method really advanced baseball. So how do we remember him today? Well, there there are some things that we could look at of Creighton's legacy that lives on. Number one, there is a memorial to him called the Creighton Memorial. It's in Ellicott City, Maryland. It was erected in 1932. The Maryland State Historical Society got together and built this monument for him. And it's a stone column. It's topped with a bronze baseball, and it's inscribed with Creighton's name and the date of his death. We also see that Creighton's legacy has been celebrated in news stories since the occurrence of this. There was uh, an article in 1987 from the Baltimore Sun that was talking about Creighton's pitching style. And the article noted him as one of the, quote, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, end quote, and that his underhanded pitching style had, quote, revolutionized the sport. There are countless blog posts and articles, if you Google James Creighton, talking about the impact that he made on the sport. So his legacy certainly lives on. He is a pioneering figure in the history of baseball, and it really is not only because of his tragic death, but because of the style that he brought to the position 
and changing what it meant to pitch in a game. So even though we may not know exactly what caused him to die, we do know that his decisions to change how pitchers interacted with batters has changed the sport for the better, I think, (laughs) to turn into what we enjoy so much today. So here's to you, James Creighton. I hope you enjoyed this episode, folks. Thank you so much for taking the time to make me a part of your week. Uh, a part of your routine it means a lot to me. And uh, we have some great episodes coming up. Stick with me. I think you're going to be excited for what's coming down the pipe. So remember, there are only two seasons in baseball history, folks. I'll see you next week. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert. Our research assistant is Cass Silber. A special thanks to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson.